This is In-House Insiders, a podcast from the Association of Corporate Counsel, where you'll hear from the most interesting in-house legal professionals in Australia. On the show, we'll explore their stories, the challenges they've faced along the way, and the lessons they've learned that have defined their careers. I'm your host, May Ramsey, and I'm the Group Executive Legal Governance and Regulatory Affairs at Medibank. In today's episode, we're speaking to Krippi Bart. Krippi is legal counsel at CPB Contractors. Krippi had an established legal career working at a top firm overseas, but when she moved to Australia, she found, despite her vast experience, the challenge of starting her career again was more difficult than she thought. We talk about how her career played out in her home country of India, the challenges of requalifying and obtaining a job in Australia, and the amazing moment where she threw down the gauntlet and challenged an employer to give her a shot. All right, let's dive in. Good morning, Krippi. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Good morning, May. Thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, I'm really looking forward to learning all about your story and really literally your journey from um, India to Australia. But how about we just start off with, tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Yes, sure. So I'm from India, as you said, from Central Park mostly, and born and raised in a state of Chhattisgarh and a city called Bilaspur. To give you a bit of perspective, it's a city where you could probably drive around the whole city and see it in 15 minutes. So yeah, it was it was a lovely little city. In terms of exposure, to give you an idea, we probably didn't have a good school. So there were only a few schools to go to. If we wanted to pursue further education, we'd have to go to another city or a bigger city. Although it's an upcoming and a rapidly growing city now, but when I was growing up, we had very limited options and we didn't have any malls to go to. There was no McDonald's, no KFC, so sort of gives you a bit of idea. But my dad being a successful businessman and a philanthropist, he tried to give us access to the best of what the city had. Unfortunately, at that time, the city didn't have much to offer. Sounds, as you said, like a very lovely place to grow up and a lovely childhood. But how did you move then from that small hometown to studying law? Yes, definitely. So when we were growing up, the only careers that we were conditioned to have were either be a doctor or an engineer, or if we were feeling too fancy, a chartered accountant. So when I was growing up, that was all I knew I could be. Luckily, I started heading towards the pursuing engineering, but then Essentially, one of my friends was preparing for entrance test and I looked at the books and I was like, wow, I could probably do this. So I went to my father and I said, dad, I want to do law. And he was a bit surprised and shocked. And he's like, why are you doing law? And I said, it's not like everyone's an engineer in our family. I'd like to pursue something new. I could work with these law firms. And that's all I knew that I could do by finishing five years of uh, law. So it's like, all right, but we didn't have any entrance preparation centers uh, in our city. So I said, that I'll have to move out. And he said, well, it's absolutely your decision. But if you succeed, good on you. If you fail, you will have to own that. And I said, Dad, I'm absolutely ready. Can I please go and 
prepare. And that's how I left my hometown, went to prepare for my national entrance test. And luckily, I got through and I made it to one of the top 10 national law schools of India. That's amazing, Krippi, and such determination at such a young age. So can you tell me a little bit more about the experience of moving from your hometown, as you say, preparing for that entrance exam, which I presume there wasn't any, you know, background in your family, so really doing something completely new? Yes. Initially, when I decided to do the exam, it essentially has always been speaking to different people and putting the information that I gathered together and making sense out of it. I spoke to a number of friends who were also taking the exams, went and did the entrance test. When I got through, my law school was fortunately in the same state of Chhattisgarh, but it was two hours away from where my hometown was. So I moved to a city called Raipur, but most of the national law schools that are in India are boarding schools. So it was 25 kilometers away from the city, middle of nowhere, and that's where we had our campus. It was a self-sufficient campus. We had our canteens, we had our hostels, gyms, sports facilities, but you are deserted in an island uh, just studying and being with your friends and surviving. So it was probably the best five years of my life because I made my friends and I'm still friends with them. It was a character building journey for me. But coming from a town like Bilaspur, like I said, I didn't have much exposure. Although I went to an English medium school, I realized that, wow, I cannot properly converse in English. I cannot speak English fluently. And Because it was a national law entrance test, there were students who came over from all over India, really smart students, went to great schools from metro cities. So when I started speaking to them, I realized I was sort of a fish in a pond. I cannot speak in English. I didn't have exposure. I haven't read as many books. So that was probably a moment of an identity crisis for me where I realized okay, I will have a lot of work to do. I will have to improve on myself and I would want to work towards getting where these students are already are. So it was a career building, character building journey for me. I love the fact that you said, you know, obviously incredibly challenging, but that you found it to be some of the best times of your life. So you obviously enjoy a challenge and rise to the occasion. So you've been through law school one of the top law schools in India. You've now graduated and started working. How did your career unfold from that point? So in India, when we are studying, the concept is that you do not work while you're studying simultaneously. And because it was boarding campus, we didn't have many opportunities as well. But what we did have was at the end of each semester, we had the opportunities to intern with different places. So starting from my first year of law school, I started interning with different places. In fourth year of my law school, I went and interned with this law firm, again, uh, top tier, very well known for their banking and finance practice, which was in Mumbai. So I go to Mumbai and I interned with them and I must have done some good work. They asked me for a second internship and that was their process to recruit law students. In my second internship at the end of my fourth year and at the end of the internship, they gave me a pre-placement offer and I was essentially placed for a job in the end of fourth year of my law school. So when I graduated, I started working with the law firm. It was essentially banking and finance and commercial law practices 
and moved to Mumbai again. It was a bigger challenge because I was now moving to a metro city, living all by myself with renting an apartment uh, with one of my friends. And again, it was a great experience, but certainly challenging. Wow. So you really a stellar career going from one of the top law schools into a top law firm, as you say, in one of the major cities of India. So you're obviously a high achiever, your career's going really well. But I understand at some point you and your husband made the decision to relocate to Australia. Really, you know, things were going so well. Can you give me a bit of understanding what was the driving force behind that relocation? Yeah, sure. So it was actually my husband who was the driving force because he was already living in Australia. He had been here for 12 years already and we were family friends and that's how we knew each other. So when we got engaged, we had this discussion and he was happy to move back to India because his family is in India. So he asked me, you've got a comfortable job, comfortable life. I don't want to disrupt it. Do you want me to move back? And I sat down and I thought, well, it's probably time for another another challenge. And I was having a comfortable life and it would probably have been very smooth had we still been there. But I said, why not qualify in two jurisdictions? You know, let's just move, try something new, see how it works out. And here I am. Wow. Tell me a little bit about that requalification process, because obviously you were aware that you'd need to do that when you moved here to Australia. And for those of us who maybe haven't had to go through that, it'd be interesting to just understand not only the process, but some of the challenges that you faced. Yes, definitely. When I realised I had to move to Australia, the first task was to identify what I need to do. And I think that was the most difficult task because there's not much information available on the internet, especially if you're looking from somewhere outside of Australia. You you don't know which admission board to go to. You don't know where, who can you speak to. So the, that was the first thing I started doing. Is I, again, started speaking to a lot of people. I asked some of the partners of my law firm to put me in touch with their counterparts in Australia and understand what the process was all about. And so essentially the process is you identify your relevant legal admission board and then you go and apply for your assessments. So it's a process which comes in parts. First, you have to finish your academic assessments and it could take up to from one year to four years. Luckily, in in my case, it was just one year. And then practical legal training. And then if you are from a non-English speaking country, also clear the IELTS, which is the English proficiency test. After that, it's just one part of the process. And then the second part being, which is the more unique and a daunting challenge being actual and entry into the job market because studying and academically qualifying it's a process it happens with time but that first job is where people finding find it most challenging exactly and that i think leads me to you know my next question so you've arrived here in australia You've gone through this process after actually discovering what the process is. And now, as you said, you're looking for a job. I mean, you're fantastically qualified, great experience by the sounds of it in a really, you know, well-regarded law firm in a major city in, in India. So when you came to Australia with this breadth of experience, what happened once you started looking for a job? 
Yes, I was very confident, in fact, when I started applying for these roles because India is a common law country, so there wasn't much difference. And then I filled those gaps by requalifying or studying those subjects again to close that gap. And also I had acquired quite substantial transferable skills already working in a law firm and with major international clients. So I was pretty confident. And when I spoke to other people, I did realize while you're qualifying, you could work as a foreign qualified lawyer in one of with, with one of these law firms or even as a legal counsel practicing foreign law. So I was like, it might take some time, but it, it will happen at the end. But Soon I realized when I started applying that the market wasn't very open to foreign qualified lawyers or I might say diverse candidates because I think Australia as a legal industry really values local experience and most of the feedback that I got was Oh, you do not have local experience so we cannot give you an opportunity and that sort of became an egg and a chicken situation because I was like if you do not give me an opportunity how will I ever get local experience so then I realized getting a senior position or a foreign qualified the lawyer position will be difficult so then I realized I'll have to take a few steps back and probably start legal support roles or even volunteer positions where I could start building on my local experience and that's how I then started applying to these different community legal centers and started going and volunteering with them and developed some connections, developed some local experience. On, on the basis of that, then I started applying for casual roles for legal assistant, legal secretary, paralegal, all sort of legal support roles that I could get. And then one day role turned into a two-day role and then a two-weeks role. And eventually I then built up my local experience. Yeah, it was an interesting time because then I realized this is what I'll have to do. And I used to get ready at 7.30 in the morning waiting for a recruiter to call and they'll be like, Krippi, can you go to the city? We need you for half a day. And I was like, yes, I will be there in one hour. You know, I didn't have the time for them to get ready and to go. I was just ready. So it was an interesting time. And such, once again, perseverance that you've shown in the face of great challenges, what continued to motivate you? Why did you keep going? I have other people that I know who some of them had to change their careers because of their financial obligations, because being a migrant, if, especially if you're a first-generation migrant, it becomes difficult. Uh, luckily, I did not have that sort of responsibility. I was supported by my husband, so that was a bit of relief for me. I was lucky in that area. But I think most important thing is your mindset, how you really take your problem to be. If you just focus on the problem, then you will only see the problem. So rather, I tried to look at it from a solutions perspective. I sat down and thought, I need to have a growth mindset. I need to look at the solutions and how I could really give the market what they want me to. I wanted to become a version of myself, which they could not say no to. So I worked on all those things and that kept me going. I just had the goal in front of me and I took a few steps back, projected myself towards the goal and kept walking. What fantastic advice uh, for those of us who may find ourselves in a situation where you really keep getting those knockbacks. 
talking about that, how many, out of interest, how many interviews do you think you actually did? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. If you, I would like to twist this response a bit. If you ask me how many applications I made, that would probably in thousands. How many rejections I got, it would probably be in hundreds. And how many interviews I actually landed up would be probably 40 to 50 interviews that I went for. And how many acceptances I got? Well, probably one or two out of that. (laughs) So, yeah. It's certainly a lesson, as I said, in perseverance and really positive approach to these issues. So eventually after all of these interviews, I understand you found yourself in an interview where you gave the interviewer an ultimatum. Can you tell me that story? Yes, for sure. But I'd like to say, uh, add a disclaimer that it's certainly not an advice and people should not be doing that. But with all the rejections that I, I was getting left, right and center, I I got this interview and I went there assuming or believing that I'm not going to get through. And by that time, I'd realized that, honestly, I have nothing to lose. So I just need to go there and convince the recruiter that, I will be an asset for them and they need to give me an opportunity. So I went and interviewed with this. It was a company and that person's like, sorry, you don't have local experience. And I was hearing that for the thousandth time. And I just said to them, well, if no one gives me an opportunity to crack the market, how will I ever get started? So I told them, I asked of them that, Please give me this opportunity. If you do not like me, you can fire me. And I use the F word. You can fire me. I didn't even say you can let me go or you can, you know, just terminate my contract. I said you can fire me. Just give me an opportunity. And I don't know what worked there, but yeah, I got that role. Like I said, it's not an advice. I had nothing to lose at that time. I was just so desperate to get started and prove myself that. I resorted to that. (laughs) Well, they obviously saw the immense strength of character and determination you have in taking that approach. So reflecting on those challenges, do you think having to, you know, face and obviously overcome those many challenges has made you a better lawyer? Yes, I, it has certainly made me a better lawyer because I feel like I've earned this position in in the profession, in the industry, and I really value it now. I'm more passionate towards it than I was when I moved to Australia. So that's one thing. More important than that is it's made me a better person because it's just made me more patient. It's made me more resilient and humble. When I And when I say humble, I had to leave all the ego that I had behind and I had to be ready to take whatever opportunity that came to me, forgetting what I was in India and how comfortable I was in India. And it has also certainly made me want to help other people. And that's how the whole initiative that I work on for foreign qualified lawyers, it's just something that has come to me with the whole journey and the struggles and also learning the importance of paying it forward. So it certainly has made me a better person. And Talking about your work with foreign lawyers, is that looking at the re-qualifying process or is it broader than that? It is a bit broader than that. It essentially is a foreign qualified lawyers initiative. 
that I'm working on, and it's with Asian Australian Lawyers Association's New South Wales Committee, and I've started my own subcommittee, and it is to help any foreign qualified lawyers or any lawyers who've qualified from a different jurisdiction or any junior lawyers to just be more job ready and to build skills that they would need to you know, excel or enter into the Australian legal market. Also, just to provide them that support network, which I felt I lagged and that mentorship I lagged and just to get those people around where people can or candidates could just go and ask for advice. And talking about advice, what's the one piece of advice you'd give someone who's looking to move overseas and they're looking at having to re-qualify? I would say to them, be ready for a challenge. It will not be easy for you, but with the growth mindset and with the positive attitude, you will certainly be able to overcome this challenge. And I know you asked me for one advice, but another thing which I would really stress upon is be open to integrate into the market that you're coming into. You cannot be expecting that the whole industry would change for you, but you will also need to gel into the environment, into the work culture. So it's coming to a middle way. And given that you've been through, obviously, the requalifying process here in Australia, and you talked about some of the difficulties you had in even finding information, what do you think could be done better for our process here for foreign lawyers? Yeah, again, there are parts of it which need to be addressed. In terms of the academic assessments, it's whole other conversations, but they do certainly have high standards. And I believe it's justified because if a candidate believes that they are of high caliber, then they should be able to justify the high standards as well. So I don't have many complaints on that. It is a process and you need to do the process. In terms of the job market, how these candidates are welcome in the market, there could be a bit more improvement in terms from from the employer side or the recruiter side that they are more open to these candidates and they have to realize that it's not about giving opportunity to anyone or everyone who comes in. But if you identify a candidate who has the relevant transferable skills and they are capable, then at least give them an opportunity to be heard for an interview at least. Also a professional network, a support or this this topic I realized when I was organizing my first event on foreign qualified lawyers and this initiative, I realized this topic has not been discussed in Australia at all. Whereas in countries like Canada, they have associations addressing the needs of foreign qualified lawyers. So we certainly could work on something like that to provide and build a bigger support environment. That's fantastic, Krippi, and great advice both, as you say, for foreign qualified lawyers looking for roles and for employers who may be looking for lawyers. A bit of change of pace now. I have a few quick fire questions for you. So the idea with these questions is just tell me what comes into your mind. Don't, don't think about it too much and we'll whip through these very quickly. If you met your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give them? Explore. I would just say explore. Well, I think you've done that admirably and uh, really a fantastic inspiration to many of us. What's the one skill you've really had to develop through your in-house role? I would say communication. 
I think that's such a good answer. I totally agree for in-house lawyers. It's just critical to get that right, isn't it? Where do you go to upskill? I constantly try and identify mentors. I constantly ask for feedbacks from people. I constantly try and keep myself updated with the CPD session. So anywhere, an opportunity to learn, and I'm there. And that's how I learn the technical skills and also soft skills, which I think are really important to excel as a lawyer or for that matter, any career you have. Yeah, I think your natural growth mindset really comes through in that type of answer. Who's someone you really admire? Say one person, I would say Michelle Obama. I've recently read her book and she's the one who comes to mind. But just realizing the kind of journey she had and one of the things which she said was, which I really got impacted with was, Sometimes with these culturally diverse candidates, you know, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. So that's something that I got really inspired by. Yeah, I think I agree. Michelle Obama, I think, is a great inspiration for many. What's one item on your bucket list? Very difficult question for me. <laughs> Probably something as I said, to have a support network for uh, foreign qualified lawyers. So I have started this initiative, but certainly I would want to take it to a bigger level. And I would definitely be, once I identify the right people who could support me with this, to expand it to into an association or bigger support network. Sounds fantastic and very laudable. What's your favourite hobby? My favorite hobby is hiking, actually, and I've been doing a lot of sunrises and hiking in the Blue Mountains, so that's something that keeps me sane, close to the nature, gets me out of the house and moving, so yeah, hiking it is. Very healthy, and what are you reading at the moment? I'm the first person to answer this question because I read three, four books at one single time. Like I said, I can't recently finished book Becoming by Michelle Obama and I am reading a book called Nutrition and Eating in the Age of Dieting which is by this nutritionist called Rajita Devekar. She's from India and it basically talks about the importance of cultural and local foods. So it was more to educate myself on why we as an Indian heritage eat certain things and how it helps us and what are the scientific reasons behind those practices. Sounds fascinating. And I know, you know, in India, there is that practice, as you say, of food as medicine. So it sounds very linked to that. It's wonderful. And finally, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? It's not a very inspirational answer, but first thing would be just to make myself a coffee. I know it's not very healthy, but that's, that's what gets me started for the day and just go out in my terrace. It's a nice east-facing house. I look at the sun and just be out and about and have my coffee. Well, I I think that uh, there'll be many who are thinking that's a wonderful way to start your day. (laughs) 
Well, thank you, Krippy, for joining us. I think I feel as though I've been on a, a great journey with you from sm- a small town in India to the campus in the law school through to your move to Australia. And I just think it's wonderful that you've turned your experience around and not only faced and overcome all those challenges, but the fact that you now want to help others is really a great inspiration for all of us. So thank you again for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me and um, thanks for the opportunity to tell others about the journeys and uh, I'm pretty sure someone uh, who is trying to re-qualify is listening to this and find some strength with the story and find the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Thanks, Krippi. You've been listening to In-House Insiders, a podcast about the stories, challenges and lessons learned by Australia's top in-house legal professionals. In-House Insiders is produced by the Association of Corporate Counsel. ACC's purpose is to support the professional and business interests of in-house counsel through information, education, networking and advocacy initiatives. I've personally been an ACC member for 15 years and I continue to remain a member for the fantastic peer networking opportunities I get and the access to tailored CPDs that cater for every stage of an in-house lawyer's career. If you're not a member already, you can join me and over 45,000 other in-house counsel from around the world. For more information about ACC or to join, please visit the website acc.com. This has been In-House Insiders. I'm May Ramsey and I'll speak to you next time.